Straight Talk, Strictly Business, Nothing Personal on Capital 100.4 FM. Straight Talk, Strictly Business, Nothing Personal. Today's conversation is around promoting economic emancipation amongst young people. And we've got a special guest with us on the line. His name is Stevenson Tlamini, who's the youth empowerment advocate, who's a youth empowerment advocate and economic expert. Good morning, Stevenson. How are you today? Good morning, I'm well. How are you, listeners? Uh, uh, we're fantastic. We're fantastic. Uh, I'm, I'm joined with me in the studio by Dennis and Tash. So there are the alternative voices you'll be interacting with. Uh, it's Tash and Dennis. If Tash hey. and Dennis, you can make yourself familiar. Good morning. Hi, hi guys. How's it going, Mr. Jamini? We're good. We're good, guys. Well, actually, before we even go far, because I um, was <laughs> I was seeing that you're the youth empowerment advocate and economic expert, and on Wednesdays here, we have a thing called Tash's case. Today, I was saying that unpaid internships should be banned. What do you think about that? Well, there are two ways to look at it. Uh, volunteer service generally even in developed countries is much more supported for skills gain. Mm. Remember, we always complain when we apply for jobs, they say five years experience, and mm. they say, where do we get the experience from? Well, unpaid internship could be one of the ways to penetrate the market and get the relevant skills. <laughs> Also, we can view it as an exploitation in some cases, yes. That's why we can say it can be banned. Okay. But with, well, when it comes to skills acquisition, you know, as youth, we need to gain skills. Mm. But how do youth gain skills before even being exposed to the work? So we may look at it in two ways. Is it for the purposes of gaining skills so that they have the relevant experience when they apply? Or are they being exploited as alternative cheap labor? Empowering them ensures future economic growth. Thirdly, it's a way to take them out of the the drug scourge that is currently uh, bedeviling our economy. So it's very, very relevant. It's very, in terms, if we interpret applicability in terms of relevance, it is much more needed in our country and the generality of Southern Africa. Uh, Are there any, like, specific economic opportunities that people in Zimbabwe should be looking into and exploring? Well, in the context of the youth, right? Yes. Well, I would say mining seems to be one of the thriving sectors and is still not yet fully fully exploited in terms of the youth being given their necessary quota, given their proportion in the population. I still believe the youth can be given more opportunities to explore in the mining sector. You would appreciate that most people graduate even from the School of Mines are mostly youth. Most people graduate from maybe Guada State Universities who are into mining are also youth. Then we have those that are artisanal miners who also can be trained uh, or capacitated with skills to do artisanal mining to begin with. They also need to be given a specific quota, like we give women a quota system in, in, in economic participation. I still feel we could give more a bigger quota for the youth also to explore in the mining sector as well, as well as the agricultural sector. I think our agricultural sector is also another booming sector, potential employment creator, even for our youth. 
I, I agree, but I, I think in a lot yes. of the in in both the areas that you mentioned, in the mining and the agriculture, I don't think people are yes. being, uh, you know, blackballed or not allowed to enter. I think the thing that becomes a holding point is the capital. Um, mining is generally an expensive process to go into. So, how would that process of you know getting more youths into mining work? How, do we set up facilities? How do we do it? So true. Mining is one sector that is a very huge capital. It demands a huge uh, capital outlay to start off with. You know, that's the power of synergy. I think we need to exploit the concept of syndicates. You know, you have youth coming together in groups rather than individual. Because where there's a high capital outlay, it's even better to group people. You know, when you have them participate in, 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 in clusters rather than individual capacity and slowly capacitate themselves from a cluster into cooperatives and so forth. The model that can be best used is to finance them in a cooperative or in a cluster format. That way risk is spread amongst a, lot of, a number of people. Capital uh, um, needed there can be concentrated also amongst a, a larger scale, rather than trying to identify individuals and having them have individual claims, the capital outlay would be would be would, would be too would high, be too high, but, too high. Yes. But 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 even in the context of uh, the the uh, cooperative. How does it then work? Because, you know, the majority of us uh, as youths don't have the collateral that would be required uh, to spread that risk. So essentially the risk would all be lying on whoever the financier is. Well, yes, uh, that, that's a powerful point. That's a powerful point. That's where we have public sector funds coming in, which uh, bear less risk than private funds. They are less costly than private funds. I'm sure there are institutions such as the um, Power Bank. There are institutions that um, are designed to facilitate funding for the youth. The question maybe is, do they currently have the capacity, especially for the given the capital outlay that is needed, especially in the mining sector? That could be the bigger question. But when you look at it from a small-scale mining, wouldn't you agree the capital outlay wouldn't be as huge as going full-scale large-scale uh, mining that takes maybe 10 years before you even recoup your, your, your initial your, your investment, your return. That it it yeah. would then depend on the type of, uh, for instance, if we were going into mining, it would depend on the type of mining. Uh, I think you could take hold of a part of a process and get hammer mills and uh, and do minor processing. But a lot of those things are also outlawed because you know, I think that would be pushing people towards things like alluvial gold mining, uh, which we're trying to have people not do. Well, you're very correct. We, we, you, I, I believe there's a huge outcry to discourage people from doing alluvial mining. That's the importance of uh, capacitating with skills prior to uh, exploring uh, business opportunities. Give them the skills. Artisanal mining, as I earlier mentioned, could be a PK start because we need somewhere to start. If we wait uh, and say, okay, we'll only capacitate youth when we have the equipment and uh, large-scale investors, I think that would be too late. We could capacitate them. Even if we can't capacitate them in terms of uh, them starting their own mine, could we have a, co- a policy perhaps that incentivizes firms who employ 
I believe in the budget there's some uh, provision in terms of uh, tax reductions when you employ a certain quota of youths. We could perhaps extend it to the mine sector to say if companies that employ youth could be granted some incentive in terms of tax-wise. Yeah. That way we, we can at least also create some uh, employment opportunities for our youth in that sector. Yeah. You know, whenever people talk about the idea of, you know, uh, a youth that's uh, we are highly informal, I always think, but a lot of these people are doing stuff. So they could be, you know, selling things. It could be a, as a vendor or whatever other kind of economic activity that they're doing that then needs yeah. support in the t- in terms of the formalizing. So, for instance, when you look at the people that are vendors, uh, that may look like setting up something for them in town, a place for them to be doing that from. Are there any things that are being approached more from the development of the systems that allowed the youth to be able to operate? Well, uh, perhaps there might be programs under the Ministry of the Youth, Sports and Culture that favor youth projects, which may also lean towards the informal sector. And there may be some policies, I'm sure. There's usually a budgetary provision for women and youth. But I guess your point speaks to a, a designated zone, maybe for the youth, maybe a special zone, if I'm following your your line of argument correct. Yeah. Perhaps that would be necessary to say, let's designate this particular sector for the youth to participate in and perhaps have incentives there. Because at the end of the day, it boils down to our policies, our economic policies, are they favorable for startups in that particular sector? We would love our youth also to formalize, but you'd appreciate our economy is still largely an informal sector-driven economy. So to swim against the tide, perhaps, we'll be expecting too much for our youth. Well, we may say within that informal sector, we look at our local authorities. Can they designate certain areas and prefer youth and women to participate because generally when you speak of the youth we also usually include the women in the policy making youth and the women yeah let's let's designate certain places perhaps it could be a policy at local authority level beginning at that level and then we'll see how we extend it to higher levels and what, what did you say are some of the other environmental issues, like based off of where we are operating? What, what are the other environmental issues that we need to address to make the environment more conducive uh, for the youths and the women uh, and children to, to operate? Well, not children, because children yeah. shouldn't be working. That is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yes, India. I, yeah, the International Labor Organization, all, my, all our cases, if we do. But there's... If a starting point is an enabling policy environment, yeah. there needs to be a clear crafted policy uh, that uh, supports the empowerment of these. I'm sure they are already. Yeah, I was, I was about to say, we need, to, we need to get into talking about the specifics of these policies. Yeah. So, for instance, yes. if there's a tax break for being a youth, uh, we need to be pushing the yes. tax break. If there are subsidies yes. that you get for being youth and operating, then we need to talk about those subsidies. Yes, yes. I'm sure when we look at the budget, I did mention that the, the budget specifies uh, uh, women and youth empowerment programs. Like I gave you the example of a tax uh, break, 
they take subsidies mm. that is given to companies that employ youth at a particular quarter. Mm. We have the Ministry of Youth, Sports and Culture, which has programs that are targeted at empowering youth and emancipation of youth through different programs ranging from sports, cultural activities, and so forth. But the question is, are we are the youth aware of those? Yeah. Do the youth participate in the policy formulation in such cases? I really see youth, for example, uh, participating in the budget but, uh, consultation fora, for example. Mm. But that's where the voice needs to come in so that the policies are crafted in context without other people assuming these are the needs because youth have become sophisticated. ICT now, the youth now are more ICT serving. So we, we're looking at programs that should embrace that. But without the youth participating in that formulation, it becomes difficult for them to be fully uh, emancipated in context. Mm. Yes, we may say traditionally vending, mining, those are traditional. There is no innovativeness in such policies. Why? Because the youth who are supposed to be the more innovative uh, populace yeah. really do participate in the policy uh, crafting, perhaps in a way that reflects their population proportion. Because that's the most important thing. We may then, because when we approach it and say, okay, the policies they do not favor us the way we want, the question would be, did we participate in ensuring that we our voices are heard yeah. during these uh, participatory processes? Because our youth participation in policy making, especially the budgetary part, I believe is still falling short. Do you think uh, the failure of youth participation is a fa- it's, it's a it's a it's a it's an ignorance case, or it's maybe uh, we need to change how we try to reach these youths? Well, it's difficult to model it with one specific answer because apathy can come in as a number of reasons. Ignorance, perhaps, may also be an issue depending on which type of youth we are talking about. Are we talking about the rural? Are we talking about the urban? Well, with the urban, they are more informed. Perhaps the rural still needs to be empowered in, in terms of how they can effectively participate. You know, you, at times you need to capacitate them, tell them how to interpret certain issues there, how to uh, put them across, you know, that level of capacitation. And then perhaps you're right, maybe the model of approaching them to get their voices also. Youth are more on the social media than on the physical meeting side. Well, they, we could advocate for the embracing of the social media in, in these participation processes. But it all boils down to the importance of the youth now coming in with these initiatives, making yeah. those proposals. Yes. You know, just speaking of the youth in Zimbabwe, you're talking about their participation in, you know, the parliamentary processes around it as well. Uh, are, are we developing any Zimbabwean-specific solutions to the issues that we have? I think very often we, we talk about pe- wanting people to formalize, but if the only advantage of formalizing feels like then I'm going to be taxed, then there's no real incentive. Like, do we have any African or Zimbabwean-specific solutions that we're trying to implement given the nature of our specific environment? Well, looking at it 
still within the context of the youth participation. You did hint on the youth parliamentary activities. I'm sure there's a youth parliamentary session where they have a simulation of what happens in the real parliament, but I'm sure most of those issues that are discussed in child parliament also have a bearing in influencing greater economic policies. Then when it comes to the formalization, it's not now an issue exclusive to the youth. This is now a national issue because the issue of informalization is cutting across all sectors. Well, if we objectively also look at it in the context of Zimbabwe, do we really need the formalization at this stage, given that we have also taxes that creep into the informal sector? The intermediate tax will still hit you even if you are in the informal sector. Uh, the evaluated tax will still hit you even if you are in the informal sector. So perhaps we should rethink this argument that the informal sector does not pay taxes and look at it in the context of the informal sector who is expected at some stage to grow into the formal sector. But then again, that's, that will constitute another <laughs> a whole new argument. Yeah. yeah yes. Sure. If you just joined us, we're in conversation with uh, Stevenson Dlamini, who's a youth empowerment advocate and economic expert. And the conversation this morning is around promoting economic emancipation amongst young people. Now, we'll first run out of time. Uh, Stevenson, if you could just give us your closing remarks uh, before we wrap up the program. Well, my closing remarks would be we need a greater youth participation in these policy formulations. We still also need a greater awareness, reaching out for, to, especially to our youth in the rural communities. We need them to be capacitated in terms of appreciating the various programs that are available to them. Because there is information asymmetry when it comes to the youth empowerment programs that are available in the country. Most rural youth are not aware of the existing programs. They're not capacitated to participate fully in those. Hence, the empowerment may be skewed towards the urban and favors the urban as well. So my encouragement, even us as youth, let's reach out to our, our peers, even in rural areas through social media. Empower them, let them be aware of if these rent- programs. Thank you so much. We appreciate you. I think we'll catch up with you next time. Maybe we can uh, continue this conversation around youth emancipation and economic, empower- em- em- economic empowerment. Thank you so much for hosting me. Yeah, welcome. Thank you. We're in conversation with Stevenson, who spoke so so eloquently around some of the issues that uh, youth uh, are faced with and how we can be part of this uh, economic emancipation. And if it's a sustainable model and a conversation to have around youths, well, I guess it's about participation, right?